I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week... I'm talking to Jenny Godfrey about her commercial novel, The List of Suspicious Things. Jenny was raised in West Yorkshire from a mill-working family, but as the first of the generation born after the mills closed, she went to university and built a career in the corporate world. In 2020, she left and began to write. She's now a writer and a part-time Waterstones bookseller and lives in the Somerset countryside. Full disclosure... Jenny and I are really good friends. We met on Twitter, talking about our love of books, and have been friends ever since. Jenny's novel is what is known as a super lead title. And we'll be talking about what that means and how it feels emotionally to know your book is primed for success, but also what it's like to carry that pressure on your shoulders. We also discuss how Jenny developed her characters when she realised they were a bit 2D, and how to be mindful when you're writing about real-life historical events in our recent past. But before we hear that, here's Jenny with an excerpt from the list of suspicious things. It would be easy to say that it all started with the murders, but actually it began when Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister. A woman in charge at country just isn't right. They're not made for it, my Auntie Jean said on the day the election results were announced. As if the last lot weren't bad enough. She's the beginning of the end for Yorkshire and I'll tell you why and all. She was bustling about our small kitchen, vigorously re-wiping surfaces I had already wiped. I was sat at the table in my brown and orange school uniform, shelling peas into a colander on the chipped yellow formica top, popping fresh ones into my mouth whenever she wasn't looking. I wanted to point out that, like Margaret Thatcher, Auntie Jean was also a woman, but Auntie Jean hated being interrupted mid-flow. And it was just the two of us, meaning there was no escape from her opinions, of which there were many. So many, she began to list them. Number one, she said, her wiry grey curls bobbing along as she shook her head. You take one look at that face and you can see what power does to a woman. It hardens them. You can just tell she's no heart, can't you? She took a wooden spoon off the draining board and wagged it at me for emphasis. Hmm, I mumbled. For a moment I considered just nodding occasionally while secretly reading the book I had open, a corner tucked under the colander to keep it flat. But though Auntie Jean's hearing was less than sharp, 
Her other senses were razor-like and she would have smelled my inattention like a hunting dog. Number two, she's already taken milk away from poor children's mouths and jobs from the hands of hard-working men. I knew at least part of this was true. The rhyme Thatcher, Thatcher, Milk Snatcher was still heard at our school, years after she had taken away the little bottles of disgusting lukewarm milk we used to have to drink daily there. Three, these bloody murders every five minutes. That's what Yorkshire's famous for now, dead girls. Hi Jenny, welcome to the podcast. I'm really, really excited to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, The List of Suspicious Things. Chloe, I am so excited about this recording and it's definitely one of my most exciting moments getting to record with you. (laughs) Well, I feel honoured that it's so exciting for you. I will try not to gush too much. Obviously, I imagine (laughs) a lot of listeners will already know that we are good friends, but we did make a pact, didn't we, a long time ago that if I wasn't, you know, a big fan of your book, I wasn't going to lie and say, this book is amazing. I was just going to, you know, say I enjoyed it, whatever. But even though we are friends, I am completely being objective when I say it's a fantastic book. And, you know, I think you should be incredibly proud of your achievements. So I want you to now tell the listeners, tell the world, what the list of suspicious things is about, please. Well, thank you very much, Chloe. And we did make that pact and I was really scared about you reading it. So <laughs> I am thrilled that you love it. Um, and the list of suspicious things is about 12-year-old Miz, who is growing up in 1970s West Yorkshire. She's got a very unhappy home life. So money is tight and her mum is ill in a way that she doesn't yet quite understand um margaret thatcher's just been made prime minister and there's this sinister background hum of all these murders that are taking place the murders of women in 1970s yorkshire and her dad is basically threatening them to move down south which for any northerner um is a fate worse than death um so miv decides that she and she recruits her best friend Sharon to do it with her, is going to catch the Yorkshire Ripper. So then they don't have to move, basically. And so she and Sharon make a list of all the things in their neighbourhood and small but diverse town that they find suspicious, and they investigate them one by one. But in doing so, they, of course, uncover all the secrets of their town, um, they also discover the power of connection and eventually Miv learns to love who she is. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Beautifully described. And and you're right, it is so much of a kind of a community story, a coming of age story. There are several characters that are involved, not just Miv. We, we learn about the town and the people in it and how they kind of all intersect. Um, and I really enjoyed the kind of, different perspectives in the novel too yes and it it builds the the kind of the town in your mind more because you're learning about all these different people but obviously with a with a novel like that there are lots of different aspects to it where I can imagine different ideas could have sprung from lots of different places but I wondered where that first initial seed of an idea came from for you well it's 
interesting when I tell this story I always feel a bit embarrassed because it sounds really woo-woo um and I'm not really a woo-woo person but um, I'm not either but I have to say sometimes I make an exception where you know the whole thing about oh my character spoke to me or they they did something that I wasn't expecting I always used to think that was rubbish but actually it has happened to me so I yes an element of you know okay this does sound ridiculous but we'll go with it I think right people that are listening will hopefully forgive the the bit of woo-woo exactly and I kind of go well the science behind it is that it's the subconscious working kind of over time to create it and and to be fair, I had just watched or quite recently watched uh, the documentary series, The Yorkshire Ripper Files, which is a BAFTA award-winning BBC Two documentary about those years in Yorkshire. And it's incredible and really evocative of the time. So I did have that in my mind. But basically, I went on a dog walk and the whole plot and the title appeared in my head. That's the only way I can describe it. And I practically ran home and started to try and capture this thing that had appeared in my head, including the title, The List of Suspicious Things, which has never changed. I think I speak for everyone when I say I kind of hate you a little bit. Uh, I, I just think it's very unfair, but you know, no, I'm joking. Um, I, I know. Have, I have heard people say that kind of thing has happened to them before, where this whole idea appears, you know, in the almost complete way, and then you know you have to go and scribble it down straight away. Has that has that ever happened to you before? Like, have I, I don't know. Have you written novels before this? I actually don't know the answer to this question, so I'm I'm intrigued to know. Like, was this your kind of first? foray into writing a novel or had you always kind of thought in your mind that's what I want to do well I certainly if you'd asked me what I wanted to be at age seven or eight I would have said an author I was obsessed with books I read all the time Enid Blyton in particular who makes a little mini appearance in the list of suspicious things but life happened and I didn't become a writer straight away um, and in fact, I didn't officially write anything until I was 49. But I've kept a journal since I was 14. So I've written every day um, since that age with a few kind of minor gaps. Um, but <laughs> the only thing I have tried to write was when I was 49 and it was just before I had my amazing dog walk and I tried to write a psychological thriller because they were the most popular thing at the time and I thought well if I'm going to write a book I'll write a psychological thriller and it was terrible it was just terrible Chloe I mean all the words were in the right order and I had a plot but it had no life mm. it had no heart and even I could see that it just wasn't very good. And I abandoned it after 20,000 words and it will never see the light of day. <laughs> so this this was your, this is 
genuinely your first novel. You haven't you haven't finished a book before this or no. Like, no. That's see that's and that's incredible in my opinion. Um <laughs> Thank you. Not to keep, you know, <laughs> saying how amazing you are. Um so obviously the heart of the novel is Mirv and these as I, as I mentioned, the characters surrounding her are just as I mean if you if you open the book thinking this is just Miv's story. It is, but it's also about others as well. And your characters have so much heart and I I I really fell in love with your whole town. I wondered how easily they all came to you or whether there were certain characters that were harder to get right maybe um yeah. when you're kind of building these these characters. Yeah, it's really interesting that the characters for me began to grow after the plot. So I know lots of writers start with character first and then they kind of, the plot grows around the characters. For me, it was the other way around um, because I'd had this really clear idea of what I wanted the book to be on this dog walk. So what I found was it was almost like each time I wrote a version of the book, the characters would grow with each version. Um, and certainly there were a couple who were trickier to write than others. And they are, so I've already referred to Miv's best friend, Sharon. Now, Sharon was probably the most difficult character to write because she's good. Like, she's a really good person. So is everybody in the book, but she is particularly good, strong, very, has loads of integrity. And at first she was a little bit too perfect and I had to find her flaws in order to make her fully rounded. And similarly with Reese and Neil, who are two boys in the town who are not good. Um, they were, to start with, almost like little devil characters who weren't human enough to be fully rounded. And I had to work on both of those. And which was your favourite to write? Was it Miv or was it someone else? Oh, you see, I would say there were two. I've got two favourites and that's Miv and Omar. Um, Both of them were an absolute joy to write at every level um I just I did really enjoy it oh I do need to say back to sorry to go back to your previous question actually the trickiest characters to write was Miv's mum because she doesn't say anything mm. until fairly late on in the novel so you only see her through everybody else's eyes and creating a real person out of other people's opinions mm. of them is actually quite challenging. I've forgotten about that. And I guess her absence in the household, in, in a sense, you're building the character through the loss of her. Yes. Because she's not there or she's in bed and we're seeing yes. how that impacts on the rest of the family. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, obviously, you broke one of the, you know, cardinal sins <laughs> of writing, um, which is you didn't just decide to write from 
three points of view. I don't know how many you've got in the end. You've got like five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we we often hear that we like the kind of writing advice, particularly when you're a beginner, is you know stick to three points of view maximum. Um, you know, don't don't write from too many characters' point of views. What was your thinking behind that decision to write from five points of views? And did <laughs> did you do it like this to kind of help build that sense of community, or did that just kind of feel natural for you to to have all these different characters speak in the novel? So again, I don't think you know the answer to this question already. That's so interesting because the first version of the novel was just Smith. Right. I didn't see, I didn't know that. No, no I didn't think you did. So um, yes, the first version of the novel was uh, just Smith, And I had absolutely no ambition to write from anybody else's point of view, partly because of what you've just mm. said. It's kind of, you learn as a debut writer that there are things people advise you to do or not do, especially as a beginner. Mm. And so therefore I had absolutely zero ambition to, to do it. And certainly I had, didn't have ambition to break any rules. Um, however, you and I share an agent, Nell Andrew, and it was her who said, I think you should build in more points of view and as soon as she said it I knew she was right mm. because as you've alluded to the book is about a community it's not about a single character at all um, and as uh, Nell calls it it's an ensemble book and so she encouraged me to add in at first it was two other points of view and I found it and please don't hate me for saying this, but I'm going to tell the truth here. I found it so easy and I knew it was making a massive difference to the mm. book that then she and I had a chat and we decided between us that it, we'd add two more points of view. And that's where the power of a brilliant agent comes in because I would never have had the courage mm. to add those to, to put five points of view in my first novel but Nell had the courage for me and I'm so glad she did because they mm. make such a difference to the final book yeah it almost like it was like you needed that permission you yes needed someone to say this is what you need to do and it's okay yeah um, and it yeah it works brilliantly and I and it doesn't surprise me I don't hate you at all for saying that it kind of came easily because I feel like you knew that town, you knew Miv's world so well. Yes. That these characters were not strangers to you. You already knew them. You just had to kind of get inside them and that yeah. was the difference. Yeah. And and they are the least edited parts to the novel. Some of those points of view are almost directly as I wrote them first. Mm. But you're right in that I'd spent at least a year getting to know the characters before I even wrote anything from their perspective. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm quite nosy and keen to find <laughs> out what a, I guess, an average or a good writing day looks like to you. And I'm keen to know whether you kind of set yourself little targets about word count or um, page count or whatever. Um, oh, I just want to know how you work, Jenny. Where does how does the magic happen? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So um, I'm going to describe to you 
the magic and what a writing day looks like for me in reality at the moment. But the magic days are when I'm at home all day in my study. So I have a room devoted to reading and writing and I tend to get all the jobs done first. So anything admin-y and unloading the dishwasher and all of that sort of stuff has to be done first, which is obviously a great way to procrastinate. <laughs> However, I am quite disciplined about that. And then I'll be in my writing room at 10 o'clock. I'll do my Julia Cameron Artist Way morning pages first, and then I will open my computer and usually on a really good day I will write for four hours that's the max I can do I cannot do a full eight hours of writing um and I when I'm in that sort of flow I would tend to have kind of word count targets but I usually do them weekly rather than daily yeah so that's that's my sort of ideal and I am quite a disciplined and ordered person so Mm. When I have the time and space to do that, I find that pretty easy to keep to. However, right now I have one commitment and that commitment is to write something every day, even if I just add and onto the end of a sentence. Um, Because what I've discovered is that promoting a book and writing a book require very different aspects of my personality Mm -hmm. and I find it hard to switch between the two. So that's my current writing reality. I write something every day. That's it. Um, There's one thing I wanted to speak to you about. It's kind of, I guess, more of a a sensitive issue is that, um, and I know one that you were conscious of handling correctly because we talked about it as you were writing the book and editing the book. And that's because of the the time period when the novel is set. There are um, times where racial slurs are used, but you were very careful in the novel to avoid actually using the word. Um, And I think there might be other people who are writing historical novels listening, or any novel really, who are thinking, I need to be accurate to the time, but how can I do it in a way that's, um, you know, mindful of modern day readers? So can you talk us through kind of what you did and you know why you came to that decision yes because you're right I mean we talked about it I talked about it with Nell I talked about it with my editors and in particular Isla Ahmed who is uh, one of my editors she and I talked about it extensively because neither of us wanted to whitewash the experiences of the time or use anachronistic language, which would take you out of the novel. But at the same time, I don't want to perpetuate the use of slurs and and words like that. And eventually we came to the conclusion that the best thing to do would be to leave a blank where those words would be, so that we're not denying, and I'm not denying that those words were used and therefore, I'm not rewriting history, but I'm nor am I writing them down again, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I and I think it works because as a reader, you know what the word is. Um, yeah. You're not having to read it. And um, it, it feels like it, 
we discussed it at the time when you were making a decision and it felt like the right if you want to say it, a compromise or the right um choice to make to make it feel as authentic but yes being kind of mindful of modern day readers another challenge obviously that you've had with this book is that you're dealing with um a real historical crime and a real serial killer where you've obviously got to be mindful of victims families um and even though the book isn't about peter sutcliffe you've got you know you've you've obviously got that issue to deal with um and i imagine you were but were you thinking about this from day one yes and uh, that you've basically picked out the two things that i've probably spent the most thinking time around and the most sleepless nights around and i did think about this one a lot but I was clear from the very beginning that the book was never going to be about him it was always going to be about the fear he created within the community and I always wanted to make sure that the the focus was on the impact of his crimes and the victims but again I didn't want to shy away from the reality without glorifying his at the time fame because he was infamous Mm. and still is um so my intention in any scene and and the way that I sort of worked with this is that my intention in in any scene is always on the characters and their world not on him and his world and I really I mean I really hope I achieve that and it was tricky. Mm, mm, definitely. And I, I think, again, I think it's another thing that you've clearly thought about and clearly wrestled with as, a, as an issue. Mm. I certainly think if anyone out there is writing a book where they're feeling a little bit nervous about their subject matter or feeling a bit kind of sick about the whole thing, which naturally as writers we do because we overthink everything. Um, yes. I think reading your novel and seeing how you handle it is is a a good start for people um thank you we're gonna move away slightly from the novel and just talk about you as a writer and how you got to this point in your career um because as we as we found you had this kind of magical moment (laughs) on your dog walk but you had no background in publishing no no kind of prior knowledge no how did you then how did you come to get now how did you get your book deal? How did it happen? Because I know as well, like you were, you were sort of on the, particularly Twitter, because I know you're a big Twitter user, obviously. Yes. Uh, you were on the fringes of kind of like the book world. You were kind of chatting to authors and book lovers and everything before you had your book deal, I think. Yes, um, you are correct. Yes. Were you doing kind of a bit of research into how to get a book deal then? Or because obviously having no background, you would need some kind of, knowledge of how to get an agent and stuff so how did that how did that all happen interestingly it was all fairly organic to start with in that you're right I was on the fringes of book twitter the nicest part of the internet um way before I decided to write a book because I am a reader first and a writer second so I have always been a big book lover and a big reader and so I was already sort of participating, if you like, in the book conversations on Twitter. And then when I did decide to write the book and had my epiphany, 
I then started to use the connections I'd already made and follow people that I knew that my friends followed and writers followed and found agents to follow on Twitter. And after a while, I started to really build a picture of how the industry worked. It's amazing how you can do that via book Twitter. But I also had the help of kind of some accelerated knowledge because I basically made the investment to do um, a Curtis Brown creative program, which I did the three month course the selective three-month program and that's kind of like you accelerate your knowledge of how the industry works through a program like that because you learn how to write a query letter you get your query letter critiqued you get introduced to agents and can I tell you another woo-woo spooky story about how I got my agent yeah of course because again, this is going to sound ridiculous, but it's what happened. Um, I had from the very beginning identified now as the person I wanted to be my agent. And I was right um, because she's fantastic. She <laughs> is so incredible. And I'd identified that via Twitter. And I did the thing that you should never do, which is I sent out my book too early. So I hadn't fully edited it and got the beginning at its best. Um, and I started sending it out before it was really ready. And I got quite a few rejections, but I sent it to Nell first and I never heard anything back. And I knew from Twitter that kind of ghosting or not hearing from agents was the norm. And I just kind of went, oh, that's really sad because I really liked her but maybe she's not meant to be my agent and then over um uh, uh it was Christmas of that year I read an interview with Nell where she said explicitly I always reply and I thought well she didn't reply to me <laughs> um and uh, there was a bit of me that went well maybe I should resend it you know maybe I should um, email her again saying I didn't hear back from you but I thought you know what no if it's meant to be it's meant to be and then on 4th of January the next year I got an email from Nell basically saying I've seen your work because Curtis Brown Creative sent me the anthology can you please send me your full manuscript and I'm not kidding <laughs> I nearly fell over <laughs> Because it was one of those moments where I was, I, I knew what mm. was going to happen. I just in, in sort of in my soul, I knew what was going to mm. happen. And I was right. She read it overnight and we set up a Zoom and she offered me representation on the spot. Brilliant. And did you say to her, uh, excuse me, I have already emailed you. No, I was <laughs> way too scared. Have to you told her that. now? Have you told her now? Yes. 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 Okay. She does know now. But at the time I was yeah, like, I'm certainly not yeah. going to say, you didn't reply to me. I was too scared. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, um, I've had similar stories where um, query letters went into spam bo boxes and things like yeah. that. 
So it, it happens, it happens. Um, but yeah, it, it happened in the end. It was a happy ending. It um, was. While we're on the subject of Twitter, um, that's how you and I met. So I'm Yay! grateful for that. No matter what Twitter has become. Um, uh-huh. What are your thoughts on social media as a debut? I know you are kind of happy to be on there, but obviously there are yes. lots of authors that do not enjoy it or don't want to do it. Yep. What do you think? What do you think? Do you think people should kind of give it a go? Do you think people should stay off it? What What are your thoughts? I really feel like if you are comfortable with it, do it. If you are not comfortable with it, don't do it. And you're right. I mean, I am pretty prolific on Twitter, but I've always been like that. It's not come about as a consequence of being a debut author. I've used Twitter a lot um, over the years in many different kind of forms. And I am comfortable. I don't, I don't find it uh, stressful, although I could do with switching it off every now and again um but I think for any debut author that feels uncomfortable with it and it's not natural for them and it causes them stress just don't do it there are so many I mean Sally Rooney's not on Twitter I said this to someone the other day I was like I'm not saying we're Sally Rooney but Sally Rooney does not do Twitter exactly I think she did used to yeah but I, you know, she doesn't anymore. So yeah. there's no need. If you don't want and to I, do it, don't do it. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I don't know what the evidence is that says, I don't think there is any, that says having a Twitter following means your book sells. Mm. I really don't. Um, I do still use it, A, because I feel very comfortable using it, but B, it gives me this false sense that I'm doing something to support <laughs> my book. Yeah. And I know that I it's an illusion. I, you know, I'm not so naive. But it makes me feel like, oh, I'm contributing to the success of the book by tweeting this. Who knows whether that's true or not? Yeah. It's difficult. It is difficult. And I think we always feel like we have to be doing something. But whether yeah. Nudges the needle at all, who knows? But yeah, saying all this, obviously, the response to the novel and it isn't even out yet, it's out today. But the response to the novel has already been amazing, and yeah, you've kind of said yourself that it's been a complete dream come true. But yeah, obviously, despite this, and we don't want to make out that you know life's terrible and life's so difficult, (laughs) but despite this, it doesn't mean that you suddenly believe in yourself or you suddenly have this you know incredible sense of yourself as this incredible writer imposter syndrome still exists um yes and you you have been very vocal about you know feeling up and down about the whole thing can you speak about can you speak about kind of that as your experience even though you know that you're um I think I I hope you don't mind me saying but your your novel is seen as like the super lead of the publisher but it doesn't make you feel necessarily like you're a superstar, even though maybe that's what super means. But um, <laughs> but yeah, can you can you give us a bit of, of insight into what it's been like? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, and before I do that, I, I absolutely have to acknowledge how lucky I am. And I know that not everyone's experience is like mine and I am just I mean right place right time all the stars have aligned and I am just really lucky but that doesn't mean to say as you've just said that doesn't mean to say that I swan through it going oh look at me aren't I great isn't my book great and I think part of that is that I do realize that some of it is about the stars aligning I'd love to sit here and say to you it's all because I wrote this brilliant book but that would be a arrogant but be really naive because everything has to come together to make something like this happen and I sometimes feel like first of all I haven't served a long apprenticeship enough if that makes any sense at all like I don't feel like I've written for long enough to have this happen and sometimes and I've talked about this with you before but I feel like oh I really love the spotlight being on the book I'm less comfortable with the spotlight being on me and I feel vulnerable and a bit exposed when that happens now anybody listening to this who knows me on twitter will go but you're always tweeting and that is true but it's because of the thing I talked about before that it makes me feel like I'm doing something or it's an illusion of control it isn't because I'm saying look at me 
what I'm saying is look at the book. So I am learning to surf the waves of emotion. Let's put it that way. So there are days when I am almost crying with happiness because I can't believe the things that are happening and it's so wonderful. And then there are days where I want to hide under my duvet, in my pyjamas. Mm. And sometimes I do that. <laughs> and also, uh, I think it's important to say as well, on those days, it's not you, I don't know, having some kind of, I don't know what people would imagine, having some sort of diva strop. It's it's more like... <laughs> no! It's more like you're feeling, what if the book doesn't do well and then it's yeah. all on me? Or... What yeah. if actually people are going to give me a review that's going to somehow tap into my insecurities? Which I will have to point out, whether you're mid-list, lead, super lead, your publisher doesn't give a... Um, you are going to feel <laughs> like this anyway. Yes. You're going to have days when you feel like this, whatever. Yes. Whether yes. you... And I think I think we, we can be honest in that publishing is a dream, but also you'll have moments where you'll think maybe this is a fluke maybe I shouldn't be here maybe oh my god yes maybe they the maybe they're regretting buying my book maybe um when it comes out people will go how on earth did you get a book deal all yeah. those thoughts and I and I think those are thoughts I've had those are thoughts you've had and I think yeah probably everyone I've interviewed has those thoughts so yes it's not like just because you get a nice advance or a nice cover or a nice whatever those thoughts go away they stay with yes. you um, yes. and it's it's lovely when you get a you know a beautiful review or a lovely bit of marketing or some a reader writes to you yes and that kind of chips away at those doubts a little bit but maybe yeah. forever maybe for like a day an hour a week and then they kind of slide back in again so yeah, yeah I just wanted to kind of say that it's not about every, kind of everyone is in the same boat in that sense that we all have those concerns and fears and um yeah I just wanted to kind of make clear that you went hiding under your duvet being like why am I not famous yet or <laughs> I don't oh know what goodness, people, Chloe, I don't know what people will be assuming about I have no idea but um I just kind of thought yeah it's important to talk about the the truth of self-doubt and imposter syndrome yeah yeah and the thing you said there is the thing I think most frequently which is it's a fluke mm. um which I know we'll go on to talk about book two but that really that voice in my head that says that all of this is a fluke is at its noisiest when I'm trying to write mm -hmm. and as we're on the topic of kind of our feelings and our emotions yeah I always ask my my guests this because I think it's helpful for people who maybe do listen to this podcast and want to be published or maybe you're on the cusp of, of getting a book deal. Yes. How, how do you cope? How do you um, kind of get through it? What would you, what would your advice be to next year's lot of uh, debuts to kind of get through this weird period of kind of 18 months where you're not published, but you've signed a book deal and there's lots yeah. of things going on that you don't understand. What would your advice be? Yeah. And um I also am thinking back to being rejected because although I may have made it sound like I was never rejected, I really was, by the way. Um, 
especially when I sent the book out too early. And I found that my response is sort of the same in those moments of uncertainty and in those moments of rejection, which is I never try to deny how I feel. So I'm quite an expressive person and I just kind of lean into whatever it is I'm feeling. Um, And if that means having a massive cry, then I'll have a massive cry. But I tend to put a deadline on how long I'm allowed to be sad or angry or upset or whatever it is. Um, So I'll like give myself a couple of days to just mope and feel worried and sad. And then I'll go, right, okay, we need to pick ourselves up now. What's next? Um, And certainly the bit the bit that um between getting a book deal and the book being published which was me it's been quite a long time so Mm. I got my deal in May 2022 so it's almost almost two two years. years now my publishers clocked quite quickly to keep me busy because they learned really quickly that if you don't keep me busy, I will overthink everything and worry. Um, so I'm sure sometimes some of the things they've had me doing, I'm sure are made up just to <laughs> keep me busy. But they have kept me pretty busy, which I'm very grateful for. But the other thing I've done is read a lot um because don't we know it how many books does jenny read (laughs) every day on twitter she's read a new book i just but that's i mean it's my hobby it's my love it's my way of relaxing and it actually really helps me to be calmer to read and love other people's books because you kind of realize oh it's important for us all that we read and appreciate other people's work. I don't know. I don't think I'm describing that very well, but but I've probably read more in this gap than I've ever read in my life. Mm. And I found that's really helped me. Mm. Yeah, I can see. I mean, I always think it's whenever I'm stuck, kind of, I don't know what to write or I'm, I'm finding the words of, struggling to come out of me it's always books always go to books like always particularly particularly writers who I know do it beautifully and I think yes I want to be you I want your magic (laughs) yes um finally Jenny can Mm -hmm. you give us a little teaser about what you're writing next so I'm writing a slightly darker novel at the moment still set in the north still around a crime but a fictional one this time and it's about the impact of a missing girl on three people's lives and what happens when they discover what really happened to her that sounds amazing and actually I didn't know because we had anything we it's funny you and I talk a lot but sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't always talk about the writing in fact a lot of people don't talk about the writing we're normally just having an existential crisis about (laughs) our writing and our right you know our careers and our ourselves as authors but we don't often talk about what we're writing um and and those kind of things but um so oh that sounds amazing and I know it'll be amazing because it's you that's writing it 
Um, although I better not tell you that because you'll just go into self-doubt mode. Um, yes. <laughs> um, Jenny, it has been a pleasure um, and honour. And you, I know you've been such a big supporter of the podcast from day one. You're always listening, even now when you're super busy, you always make time to listen. And I really, I really do. I love the podcast and it's a total honour for me to be on it, Chloe. Well, we won't bore anyone with any more love-ins. But, um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's been lovely to chat to you. And, um, you too. I'm, I'm very glad to be able to interview you on the podcast. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Chloe. That was Jenny Godfrey talking about her commercial novel, The List of Suspicious Things which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it would be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.